name is Liza Casabona, and I'm the managing editor of Retail Dive. I work with a group of passionate reporters and editors that won't shut up about the industry, so I decided to give them a podcast. Here's what we can't stop discussing and debating. Here's where we talk about the news outside of our reporting. Welcome to Retail's Backroom. But first, a word from our sponsor. Email marketing alone just isn't enough anymore. Shoppers are looking for a more personalized experience that goes beyond what any single channel can do. Luckily, there's OmniSend to help unify your channels under one roof. With OmniSend, you can finally graduate from a channel-centric approach to a customer-centric strategy. Keep your customers' data centralized in one place and create automated messages that adapt to your customers' purchase journey. Join thousands of other high-growth e-commerce marketers that upgraded to OmniSend from their generic email marketing tools and engage your customers with relevant messages across all their preferred channels. Hi, welcome to the back room with Retail Dive. This week, it's me, Kara Salpini, and I've got Ben Unglesby with me, one of our reporters, and we are going to be talking through the massive blockbuster feature that we put out. We've been thinking about writing this feature for a long time. There was talk of doing a story on Family Video, which is a regional video rental retailer that still exists, like the only big chain that still exists in the US. There's been talk of the last Blockbuster as as we went down to one Blockbuster left in the US, which was the Bend, Oregon store, and then it became the last Blockbuster in the world. And we talked about it again, but I think we were maybe we were talking about it before that when we all kind of collectively fell in love with the last Blockbuster account on Twitter. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, Ben and I started at Retail Dive around the same time. And I'm pretty sure we found the last Blockbuster Twitter account like a couple of months in. (laughs) It was sometime in the summer of 2017. It was very recent. (laughs) I think it was genuinely jump-started by finding that Twitter account. So I thought I would read out the one that I saw and immediately was like, oh my gosh, we have to do a story on the last Blockbuster. (laughs) Here is the tweet that started it all from June 7th, 2017. For decades, people have said our business model will be our downfall. And you know what? We have to commend them on their spot on analysis. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the one that for me, like I read that one, like just thought it was hilarious. But then two, like it sort of made you think like, okay, what did actually go wrong there? And and obviously, you know, people were right. They ended up falling apart. But were there other things sort of for you, Ben, that made you want to write this story or yeah. other tweets you liked? <laughs> I should note that at the time that we started following the account, it wasn't actually the last blockbuster in the country or the world yet. But I think it was like one of a very few. The joke was that the very existence of Blockbuster was a joke. Like it was just an anachronism. But at that point, it made us think, think about Blockbuster for that reason. And then I talk about this in, in the story. You know, I worked at Blockbuster for around five years, all told. So the, the account, like the jokes about it being a dead business model were funny. Uh, but also a lot of the tweets are just about random things that happened in the <laughs> store that just took me back to my years at a video store. And when you're just awash in time. Definitely. <laughs> you're, you know, all, all manner of humanity is coming into your store. There's some funny tweets along those lines. They have one that just says nothing happened today. <laughs> I feel like that kind of. <laughs> There's another one that's just part of it. Where is everybody? <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a lot of ones that kind of like 
mesh those two ideas of like yeah. one what it's like to work at a blockbuster and then two like the status of blockbuster right now which is as this like almost i don't know nostalgic concept or idea that people are kind of obsessed with yeah but it's still like you know and it's weird that it's nostalgic because it, it i mean it just went into bankruptcy you know not even 10 years ago so in less than a decade it has gone from thousands of stores and you know still being a part of daily life to almost extinct yeah and um, and this is something we were like we wanted to talk about was so we come from different generations and when we were talking about the blockbuster earlier like you were genuinely like i don't know did you grow up <laughs> going to a blockbuster and for me like it was it was a big part of my life when i was younger but I moved away during high school. And when I came back, like the blockbuster was gone. Yeah. So it was like, you know, three or four years. And it had been like an integral part of, um, you know, Friday nights or something that we would go there and buy the candy and get the movies. And when I moved back to the area, like my blockbuster was gone. And also like <laughs> it was it wasn't a thing anymore, period, like anywhere. Yeah. Um, but but, you know, for you, it was like a whole chunk of your life whereas for me it's you know it was my childhood but as an adult i never knew blockbuster i guess yeah i can't remember a world before video stores really um and i mean I, they were around before i was born but not that much longer before i was born growing up video stores are a part of my life I, I actually didn't go to a blockbuster we didn't have one around my house when i was growing up but we had we had movie gallery i think it was the store my family went to mm. and like some other like palatial like multi-story like wow. circus like video circus with like a you know 70 inch tv screen where like the two coolest kids in the store would be playing mortal Kombat while everybody else watched for me like the video store was like a one room kind of like closet almost of a space like i think at that yeah. point it had it was not like what you're describing yeah um and like we still enjoyed it but it was you went there and you like browsed and picked out your movie and you got your candy and you left but like i have ne i've never had an experience of going to a video store that's quite <laughs> as entertaining <laughs> as you're describing it and how did you decide sort of that you wanted a job at Blockbuster and how did that all get started? Yeah. So we had just opened up a Blockbuster account. I'm like, I like movies. And in high school, I started paying like closer attention to movies. We actually had a film class in my high school. So I was kind of getting into movies as an art form and just like, well, this is fun. Like it would be fun to work around movies. And the interesting thing, you know, while I was researching this story, that's how a lot of video rental got started. And in the early days, it was not the big companies. It was not Blockbuster. It was not Movie Gallery. It was these little mom and pop stores. And a book that I read while researching the piece, and I, I talked with its author for, for the article too, you know, it lays out kind of the history, the social history of video rental. And like these mom and pops, a lot of them said, you know, I did it because, you know, I wanted to get into it because I thought it'd be fun to work around movies all day. And that was the exact same thought I had as you know, an 18 year old kid getting a job as a as a blockbuster clerk was this just sounds fun. I like movies. So it'd be fun to work around movies. For me, there's a few things like that, because I don't get into clothes. I don't get into fashion. If you're into fashion, there's a lot out there for you. But I like movies, you know, I like media, I like books. So those kinds of stores were actually attractive to me. So yeah, I, and it, be fun. And know? it's interesting, because like, you know, you talk a lot about how it's not just the fact that Netflix came around that 
blockbuster died. Um, but there is just kind of this enduring nostalgia about blockbuster or yeah. video rental in general um, that would make you think like, like why, how did this happen? Because yeah. even there was such a huge base of people who like, even like you, you know, you're working at the store or you just enjoy, you know, going to the store. Like there was a strong connection there. And that's, you know, what people always say today in retail is you need to have a strong connection to your customer. You need to like have relationships. And like, that's what a lot of Blockbuster was based off of. It still has a whole connection to a lot of people. I think there's still a lot of nostalgia around the Blockbuster brand. I mean, and you see that in the Twitter account. You see in like John Oliver buying memorabilia for the last Blockbuster stores. And it's interesting to me, you know, I I spent so much of my waking life back in the day in in the Blockbuster store. And on on the one hand, I think that nostalgia, like people must be editing out some things because they, they didn't always love us and love Blockbuster. People hated, at least in my story, people hated their late fees. I mean you know, we were the objects of ire, you know, so often throughout the day. I mean, the worst thing you can have happen in your day is to walk into a store to buy something you want or to rent something you want in this case and be told like, hey, here's $10 for something that you're not actually getting anything for. It's just because you're, you know, four hours late with your movie. So there was a lot of ire, but also we did have a lot of fun, at least at, at my store. And I think for kids growing up with movie rental, we just have positive associations. You go to the movie rental you go to your, whatever your rental store was, whether it was a Blockbuster or whatever, and it was exciting. You know, there was an ocean of titles to choose from. Even like the smell of popcorn and the smell of candy, I think was fun. And then also, you know, again, going back to people working there because they liked movies. Like if you like movies as a customer and you have people who work there who like movies, like it's fun for the workers and the customers to talk about movies. And so that's what we did. We just shoot the breeze with our customers, especially our, our regulars about, about movies, but then about everything else, you know, we just had fun with our customers and we had relationships with our customers. And like, and like we were sort of saying earlier, like that is what people push retailers today to do. It's like, it's the whole idea of like, it's an entire experience. People enjoy themselves. Like they're going to have fun. And I think you mentioned this in your story too, but there was also the, like a legitimate business case of like, you had to make two trips. Like you had to go and get your movie. You had to come back and return it. So like, that's a guaranteed opportunity to engage someone. I guess just to talk a little bit uh, into the details, how did that not work? Or like what went wrong if there was so much affection for Blockbuster and like minus the late fees, but like there was a lot of excitement around going there. So what were kind of some of the business takeaways that you had from the piece? And also I know people have reached out to you since the piece has run. So is there anything else you kind of want to get into on the business side? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's one I kept asking everyone I talked to is that if Blockbuster had survived, like what what would it be? And would it exist as, as a physical retailer? Because, you know, it is hard to compete as a convenience play with sitting at home <laughs> the entire time and yeah. never having to leave your house to, to watch movie content. There were going to be changes to the model. Blockbuster would have had to have evolved. And most people I talked to thought it may have evolved as, as some sort of content aggregator, but it would have no physical retail presence. There are, you know, cases that it could still exist in, in physical form. How do you take that interest around movies and that relationship with people and build an entirely different business around it. And and Blockbuster just never had the resources to do that. By the time that 
consumer habits really started to shift. They were in debt. They were struggling. Their their sales were already declining. There's just no way they could have ever pulled it off. I mean, the story really resonated with people. Since we wrote it, other former executives have reached out to me and given their own take. Um, and I've heard from people who used to work at the stores, heard from a couple of people who still own you know, little mom and pop video stores out in Arizona and, and other places. You know, video rental does still exist, does still serve a need in, in some places. The thing about my years there, like when I finally left, because because I left and came back a few times, I left for I always left for more money. I always came back because no place <laughs> was ever as fun. But when I finally left, it was because at my store they started putting loyalty membership sales quotas on the staff and basically threatening us with our jobs if we didn't meet them. I'm like, okay, I, I'm done here. And I think at that point they were starting to get desperate. But you know, when I left, I kind of wrote this Jeremiah to to the company saying basically like. The only thing you have is our relationship with our customers and your employees, your frontline employees understand those relationships the best because we actually see these people. We actually talk to these people every day. And that, and, you know, I've worked for, uh, for a bunch of different retail companies and I've felt this tension every, everywhere I go. The home office does what the home office is supposed to do, which is run the company. But your actual business takes place on your front lines. I think for for a lot of times, it's hard for corporate to kind of sit back and let employees kind of run those relationships. Right. Um, and and that's I think that's still a thing that happens today. Like you oh, hear yeah. people talk all the time about like, oh, your store associates are your brand ambassadors. Like they should be the people who are like, really believe in whatever you're selling or whatever business you are. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, like you said, we need more people to sign up for X program. So you guys need to do that. And that becomes your priority rather than like acting naturally or as people like to say today, acting authentic. Yeah. Other retailers I've worked for, they, they try to script your conversations. They, they try to micromanage the relationships of the customers, which, which is understandable. But at the same time, like if you really want to build organic, lasting, like human relationships, the best thing you can do is just let your employees be people. <laughs> just let them talk to people naturally. One of the things that we talked about was they were potentially in a good position because they were this the sole retailer left in their space, right? Like they were the big one in the movie rental space. We did kind of a follow-up story on sort of retailers who are the last ones in their categories. Is there anyone else from that reporting that you kind of worked on that you think might be in a a similar trajectory to the blockbuster back then? Is there anyone that we're going to be telling the future last blockbuster story about? Yeah. Something we've thought about even before blockbuster looking at, at Toys R Us and both Toys R Us and blockbuster, they were a category specialist. And at one point, you know, they were last in that category and then they both disappeared. And there are, you know, there are retailers who are in that exact same position right now. And it's interesting because some it's easier to see them going the way of Blockbuster and Toys R Us and some are healthier. So the the ones that we looked at were Best Buy, GameStop, Bed Bath & Beyond, Barnes & Noble, and Dick's. In that list, there's a range of different businesses and, and different market positions, but they all face like similar things and the similar challenges that Blockbuster face, which is competition from, from Walmart and Target, which, you know, everyone talks about Netflix, but they became major competitors once studios started releasing DVDs uh, at low sell-through prices. Yeah. And it's interesting because we, we've talked about this before as well, but 
GameStop and Barnes and Noble, especially like yeah. there are both different types of media as well. Yeah. And they are both sort of like the need for an in-store experience relies on very similar things to Blockbuster, yeah. where it's like, you know, you go to a Barnes and Noble and maybe you want a book recommendation. So you talk to someone about the books you might like or whatever it is. Um, and at GameStop, you know, you go there and you are talking to people who also are passionate about gaming. Yeah. So they're they're very similar um, kind of value propositions to Blockbuster. Yeah. Well, and, and GameStop might be the most interesting parallel too, um, because they have a lot of stores. I mean, they have thousands of stores. The product that they sell is rapidly digitizing. Games are a thing that people like. <laughs> like it, it's, it's not like I, I have to go to a hardware store. I have to go to the grocery store. People like games. So the people who work at the stores like games. People go into the stores like games. Everyone want, is there for the uh, around this sort of cultural artifact. But how do they, you know, how do they evolve when their when their product is digitizing and the way that it's, you know, it's just the very nature of it is is changing and becoming less physical. So why do you need a physical store? They're, you know, trying to figure out how they evolve their business model and how they use their stores and their employees and their expertise and the the cultural cachet they have to change that business and, and keep it afloat. And what GameStop has that Blockbuster didn't is a good balance sheet. You know they're way more financially healthy, at least at this point, than than Blockbuster was. Even even the Wall Street's kind of given up on them. Wall Street already thinks they're toast. But you know they have they have time to figure it out. It's it's just a question of they can evolve into something and what that something is and if it's going to be physical. And I don't know. It's it's a really interesting case. To and watch. and those are definitely the ones I think that we'll be watching probably closest. I guess yeah. of that group. But I thought we could sort of end this the way that we started it. So I have my favorite last blockbuster tweet <laughs> to read to you. Do you also have a favorite on you? I do. Okay. I'm going to read mine first then. Um, so this is, and this is purely just, I don't know, I guess this says something about the person that I am for better or for worse. But my favorite is from July 27th, 2018. Congrats to the Little League team we sponsor on a stellar 2-11 and 11 season. Enjoy the pizza party, you talentless hacks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is my favorite one because I have a lot of favorite tweets. But this one, I think, just, just says a lot about the idea of the last blockbuster. It's, if we poured some CBD on the popcorn, is that something you'd be interested in? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. You got to sell something. <laughs> you got to sell something. <laughs> you got to innovate somehow. <laughs> um, well, cool. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been The Backroom with Retail Dive. And don't forget to subscribe, review, rate, all of the good stuff. Thanks for listening. Thanks.